There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plushcare. Plushcare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Dope Black Woman podcast, the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood. I'm Leanne Levos. I'm Rashan, but you can call me Shan. I'm Livs. I'm Laurel Brown. I'm Victoria. And you can join us every week for discussions about relationships, race, beauty, careers, travel, and so much more. This week on the podcast, we'll be talking about what it means to be a dope black woman. So in this episode, we're going to be exploring blackness. What does it mean to us? How do we identify as dope black women? What does it mean to be a dope black woman? I think there are so many different interpretations of blackness and there are times where we feel so empowered by each other's presence and wholly embrace this idea of black excellence. But then there are times when we often feel challenged by our blackness and uncomfortable in our own surroundings or in majority white surroundings. And so I really want to hear from everybody anecdotes or stories where they feel like their blackness has been challenged um, and just talk about that. Actually, Livs, I wanted to ask you this question. Is there ever a time when you felt like your blackness has been challenged or you've had to defend your blackness? Oh, that is the story. That is the title of my memoir. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So um, I feel like my position is quite an interesting one. So I'm mixed race. Uh, my mum is mixed race and my dad is white British. Um, and growing up, I was always very confused about how I fit into the black community and whether I even have a right to call myself part of the black community, um, especially because my mum grew up in care. So she doesn't know where she's from. Mm. She has no connection to her um, birth parents. So this idea of where my blackness even comes from, I have no idea. And it's not something she really wants to touch. It's still quite sensitive for her. So growing up, like people are like, where are you from? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, even when you go to like house parties or whatever, and I feel like black people say it just as like a way to like strike up a conversation. Mm. And then I'm like, oh, my mum grew up in care, so I don't know. And it's like, oh, mood killer. <laughs> But I think as I've got older and I've grown into myself more and into my confidence more, I do feel more confident calling myself a black woman because mm. I feel like so much of my life and my perspective is defined by my blackness. Yeah. So do you feel like because your mom wasn't able to provide you with that kind of information that when you were younger, at least, that maybe you connected with the white side more or what was your connection with the white side of your family? So like, I'm definitely very close to the white side of my family. I think it was hard to grasp onto my blackness because it was like grasping onto straws. Like there wasn't much to actually connect to, um, especially because my brother is very, very light skinned. Like mm. he is like white passing. So it wasn't like I could speak to him about it because it's just the two of us. So it's not like I could speak to him because he just, as far as he, he didn't really grow up thinking about race because it didn't affect him. Mm. Like he very much lived his life with white privilege. Like a lot of his friends are white, his girlfriend is white. So yeah, it was such, it, growing up, it was a really weird, like kind of identity crisis almost. But I think as I've got older, I've realized like these are boxes, which I think um, like white priv whiteness, wants us to put ourselves in mm. when actually like blackness isn't for boxes like I don't know if anyone knows 
the song um, Black by Dave. Of course. Of course. <laughs> but there's a line and it's like, um, there's no shade to blackness. Like they've been lying to us and I hate it. And I feel like that is so true. Very deep. How do you ladies feel about that? Um, I think following on from that, I'm mixed as well. Um, and grew up with my mother, who is white British, my father, who is Nigerian, basically left me with three. So I didn't have any kind of black culture growing up in our home. But subconsciously or unconsciously, um, I basically gravitated towards black friends. So I only have a circle of black friends and have always had that from primary school. My mum always noticed that that was me doing that. And it wasn't it wasn't a conscious decision. I think deep down I was searching for something that mm. I couldn't get in my home. My mum was really good for the first um, 10, 15 years. She cooked Nigerian food. She learned how to plait her hair. She had dax, you know, all that. Oh, that's dope. Like, super <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I Shout even, out to Vicks, like, <laughs> Right? I can't even plait. <laughs> like, cooking a goosey soup. Like, I'm like, where? How? I don't... So, I really... Um, like valued that as growing up and she was very much although she was a white woman attracted to and made sure that she learned about black culture black Caribbean and African culture but growing up I did tend to have around me Caribbeans instead mm. of Africans mm. and obviously growing up it wasn't cool to be African so even though I had a couple Africans we were kind of like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I kind of gravitated <laughs> towards the you know like Caribbean side mm. of it being mixed they always surprised that it's Nigerian and English still now they still think mm. or growing up it was certainly Jamaican and English I would get judged before I'd even said anything but then I think me going on what was going on in my head subconsciously was I didn't I thought myself as a black or mixed person yeah. always um I didn't really acknowledge race outside the home mm. until I got to secondary school because all my friends are so mixed I mean they're they're black so I didn't I didn't really have an issue with that until I got to secondary school and then really saw the segregation in my secondary school. Going back to what you said about your mum mm-hmm. and, like, growing up, even though she was white, she kind of, like, gave you a lot of, I guess, traditional experiences of what would happen if you had a black Nigerian mum. I'm just interested to know, like, where that came from. So do you think she consciously made the effort because she realised the dad wasn't around and she wanted you to be able to experience that side of your blackness? Because I'm actually quite surprised. Yeah. Because I've got a lot of friends who are mixed race. And they didn't get that. So if their mums were white, it was only the white experience. And if their dads, their mums were black, it was only the black experience. And I think that's actually such an important thing mm, to help being someone who's got dual heritage and trying to find that identity. So like, just out of curiosity, where do you think so that came from? So she travelled around the world when she was younger for like two years. So she travelled in Africa, in Asia. The only place she didn't get to continent she gets was South America. And I think because she's been always very interested in cultures around the world growing up she her stories were from everywhere around mm. the world so it wasn't just traditional kind of growing up stories we learned about Anansi we learned about um like Russian Russian history so it was always very mixed and I think because me in particular she always says that I withdrew quite a lot when my dad left because mm. I was quite close to my dad even at three so she wanted to make sure that there was something there for me to cling on to and my sister to cling on to so Mm. she consciously did make the effort to learn foods and kind of some of the cultures that we would have grown up around not everything but she did she did make an effort and also all of her family live in Suffolk so it was just her by herself in London so I think she was conscious that every time we came out of London it was we were surrounded by a white family so she just wanted to make sure that we were secure in ourselves yeah so that when we were going out into that whiteness that we would still didn't feel like any kind of negative aspect from it, which for a long time we didn't. We always used to question, but not in a kind of negative Mm. way until we started getting aware of it in our kind of, like, 11, 12-year-olds. We started being very aware. Do you know what I find really interesting about this whole conversation um, is that quite often we talk about blackness and identity when it's visual and it's quite obvious, so in particular Mm. people with dual heritage. But my experience is that both my parents are black and... Uh, one was absent, he's Jamaican, and my mum's from St Vincent. And there's this kind of culture around small island and yeah. Jamaica. And so 
like I was not Jamaican when it came to my upbringing and it came to my mum's family. Like we we didn't talk about those people, those loud, brash. It's okay, I claim. Yeah, whoa, 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 Becca, Becca, Becca. Hold my hearing, girl. You classy. It's okay. My mum would like you. And so actually. As I've grown older and I've um, talked more about my friends, A, about the trauma of absent parents, and that's a whole separate thing, but mm. also within that, how it impacts your identity when even though you're black and you identify as a black person, this need to have a binary identity, um, how it doesn't capture the nuance of that like absence mm. in, in terms of what you identify with. And actually, I didn't realise how serious it was until I went to Jamaica for the first time in my early 20s with my um, dad's mum and my cousin, who had been an active part of my life as I grew up. And I couldn't understand what half the people were saying. <laughs> like, I was very British. They made sure I knew I was British. Yeah, they'd love to do that. Right? They were, like, trying to teach us. <laughs> no, I'm tired, you know. <laughs> I'm just as Jamaican as you. <laughs> Don't you worry about my accent. And then you think, okay, so what am I? Because they were trying to make us dance in front of them, like, puppy show. Like, everybody's, like, mm-hmm. looking at us. Yeah. Right but then also when I went to St. Vincent, I couldn't understand what they were saying either. Mm. And I, I didn't feel Vincentian when I was actually outside of my family here in the UK. So I think that's a kind of another aspect in terms of your identity and your blackness when mm. you're British and you then go actually to where your origin is. It's like, oh, I don't feel so black anymore. It's interesting for me, though, because I think, obviously, I'm from Jamaica. I was born and raised there. And so because Jamaica is dominated by black culture and the majority of the population is black i think sometimes being jamaican is synonymous with being black in a lot of ways and so for me growing up even though i am mixed race and when i say mixed race just to be clear i'm half black half asian because i also think that there is a narrative in the uk and in europe that mixed race automatically means black and white Mm -hmm. which is an experience that doesn't necessarily resonate with my own but yeah growing up i saw myself as jamaican first but I was also quite happy to be to identify as black. But it didn't mean that I also didn't get to embrace my Asian culture. So even though I identify as black, I used to do Indian dancing. My mom used to take us to Sri Lanka. And Sri Lanka also felt like home. You know, I remember the first time going, I felt like I was in Jamaica because it just felt like that feeling of home. And so it's interesting that oftentimes how people identify blackness is exclusive of other things when really... It doesn't have to be at all. Like you can be black and be other things, but still identify strongly as a black individual. Do you know? Well, for me anyway, where I grew up now, it's quite diverse. But when I first moved to the area that I now live in, it was really, really, really white. So when I was in those spaces, it was like, oh, you talk like this. Oh, you eat that. You have chicken. Can I have chicken? It was very much like you was the cool kid because you was black and it wasn't really ni- a nice experience, mm. but you was, like, too black. So I was always in spaces where I was too black. And then I would go to, like, my family's houses where they grew up in Stockwell and in a state that might be predominantly black Caribbean. And, like, because I couldn't do whatever dance moves that all my cousins could do, I wasn't black enough. And I remember, like, at my 13th birthday party, I had a party in a club and I was so gassed, like, yeah, me... And then <laughs> when my cousins came, the first thing they said was, why are all your friends white? And imagine, like, I'm in my school, I'm the cool kid right now. Like, no one has a club, a party at 13 in a club. So I was on this high, and it was like, they've never lived that, like, some of them, not all of them, it's literally just one of them now. But, like, for a long time, every time I went to a family event, I was reminded of, all your friends are white. And even if they was white, what's your own? Like, what's I got to do with you? Mm. And the thing is, they wasn't even all white. But because in the spaces that they grew up, they had, like, only black friends. It was mad to them to see, like, five white kids out of 35 black kids. Do you get what I mean? 100%. So I find that quite an interesting thing that you said. Yeah, I think it's interesting that dependent on where you are and how old you are and the people that are around you, your identity kind of automatically changes based on how people identify you. Mm. So there's this Indian philosopher called Amartya Sen, and he has a book called Identity and Politics. And in it, he talks about how you identify yourself and how that shifts in accordance to your experience at the time and how different identities, so different aspects of your identity will come forth dependent on where you are. So sometimes when you're in the workplace, you might identify more as a black woman because that's what's being, you know, brought to your attention. Whereas if you're in a safe space of black women, you're just a human being, you Mm -hmm. know. And so really like to know how everybody identifies. Like I know I identify with nationality first 
And then race, then gender, then whatever else, whether it's my career or my age or anything. But for me, I think, as I said, because being Jamaican and being black are almost synonymous and so much of what I've learned about being black is rooted in being Jamaican, that they're almost simultaneous for me. But I don't know how everybody else feels about it. Liz, what do you think? So we talked about this amongst the Dope Black Women group and online on Instagram. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is no one really brought up class. And I think class is a huge factor in Britain. I think like what class you're in or brought up in or who you surround yourself with affects everything. Like the way you talk, the food you eat, the experiences you have, the opportunities you have. And I think a lot of that can fall into and intersect with race and with gender as well. But I think for me, I know that I'm middle class based on like mm. what my parents earn and based on the size of my house. But both my parents grew up very much working class. Like they both grew up on council estates. And I think they both haven't lost that mentality in the way that they brought up me and my brother. Like, they both love pie mash. Like, they don't like going to fancy restaurants because they feel like they won't fit in. So I think class is a huge one for me. Mm. And I think over my kind of, like, career, I've always felt like it was my class that divided me the most because I didn't go to university. My parents didn't go to university. So that's definitely up there for me. Like, Mm. I think gender and race kind of both intersect a lot because usually it's not just the fact you're black or it's not just the fact you're a woman it's the fact you're a black woman but for me class is a big one as well so do you feel like if you were part of let's say the upper class as it were that you would feel less black i don't know about that i think i think that's problematic because like it's kind of when you look at like rich black people and people like you lost yourself yeah like you're not the same i think that's problematic but i think Generally speaking, when you look at, like, um, the FTSE 100s, when you look at who owns businesses, who who runs government, who runs politician parties, who runs big businesses, like, it is class above everything else that can define so much about kind of your life, really. I think, um, for me, growing up, it was almost like we went through different classes, so I think for me, that's always something that I think about when, when we talk about class, because my mum grew up working class in the country with like four other siblings. And, and then when she came to London as a single woman, met my dad, had us, they would have been middle class. But then she was left as a single parent, went back to working class, and then she got educated, done the master's, then worked herself up in her career. So then she was middle class so like I don't know where I fit in but people because of the way I talk because mum my nan's got like a country accent um Mm. and then my mum's got a posh accent and so I've got quite a well-spoken I've been told accent and so people immediately I'm more I know that in white spaces I have been like the suitable Mm. black Mm. the token black girl 100%. 100%. And, like, people seem to warm up. Oh, yeah, go look. You're like that. <laughs> and you can speak well. So that means, you know, and I do put on voices. Some, I, I've heard myself. Oh, and, my and I, I see it. I'll be I like, what? I don't as much. I, find I don't as much. But, yeah, it is. And I, and I actually... It, some people are like, oh, it's good to adapt. I don't like doing yeah, that. Not, and not, I don't feel in the last yeah, few not. years I've just kind of stopped doing that because also I can hear myself and I'm like, who are you? Yes, that's what she talks about, right? right? (laughs) And I just think, but because for most of my career, like in terms of management, it's been you're the singular, singular person, usually the only female in the room as Mm. well. So then you become the single black female in the room. I'm quite outspoken Mm. and I will speak on things, especially with race and stuff. And so that always comes. Get them. Oh, God. You know know what I mean? And it is. And and I don't I don't care in that space, like how that Mm. feels. I will always kind of champion and talk about that and challenge. But it does. It is kind of a load. I've had some of my closest friends to me talk about like, why are you always going on about blackness, though, Victoria? Like you're mixed. Like, and you've got, uh, my son is so light, you would think he's white. 
And so literally I've, I've had like these same conversations over the last few years, mm. um, especially after developing like the platform that I've developed. They're like, why are you always going on about, you know, this? why is this so important to you? And I'm like, I grew up with you seeing you get stopped and searched every time we went out. I, I grew up watching my black friend be harassed by police, us being harassed by police. Do you feel like there's ever a space where because you're mixed race, you don't have the same level of authority to speak on a topic. So for me, I'm very, very, very much aware of that because I do understand that in being mixed and having, whether it's a certain type of hair or I am darker skin, but even having a certain tint or whatever it is where people can identify that I'm something other than just black puts a level of responsibility on me, particularly as it relates to representation. So I remember when I first moved here, Um, somebody was like, oh, there's this beauty competition. You should enter it. It's called Miss Black Britain. You should do it. You should definitely do it. And I was like, no, not doing it. Because I knew in advance that the majority of people that A would enter were going to be super light-skinned mixed-race girls and they were not going to have a chance for darker-skinned black girls to have a space. And I was just like, I'm not, I don't want to add to that. Mm -hmm. I remember there was another space where they were talking, we were doing a hair blog I wasn't doing it, but I was present for it. And it was this mixed race woman who could pass for white telling black women how to do their hair, telling them that they need to stop wearing protective styles, telling them that they need to stop doing X, Y, Z because it's going to tear out their hair. And I'm like, B, do you know what it takes to get up in the morning and do my daughter's hair and do my hair and then all of this other stuff? Like, There are certain conversations where I feel like I can't speak to that experience, so I don't want to impose in that space i don't know how rashan uh laurel if you guys feel that way when it comes to like having mixed race women involved in certain conversations about blackness you can be honest um i don't really think i've ever thought about it much until now but what i would say is that if you're someone who feels like you're comfortable with doing that or you're someone who's passionate about doing it then you can't do it part-time so you can't be like, mm. okay, I'm light-skinned, mixed-race or whatever, and I'm going to be like a champion for black politics or a champion for blackness and black black issues, but then wanting to use your light-skinned privilege at the same time. Yeah. They can't go in hand. So if you're someone who's going to be like an advocate for blackness or change or whatever in the black community, you need to do that wholeheartedly. Because mm. if I see you doing it like fake or when it suits you, yeah. to me, that's a real issue. And you might as well just not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, what what advantage are you doing it? Are you doing it for then? It would it would make me question how genuine it, how genuine your actions are. Like, are you doing it to be seen as a good person, or are you doing it because you really believe in what you're trying to do? Because if you really believe in whatever it is you're trying to do, then you wouldn't be trying to use your privilege to your advantage in certain situations. So it's like toning down the black side in order to make yourself more acceptable in certain spaces. It's just being authentic to who you are. I'd mm. say. If it's if it's natural to you to do that. It's your intention and your integrity. If it's natural to you to do that, for you to do that, cool. And acknowledging the privilege. I can't stand when I hear mixed or light-skinned people go, there is no privilege. Like, it's just the same when white people say, oh, but I haven't felt the privilege. That doesn't Mm. mean you don't have privilege. It means that you cannot see, you have not understood what your privilege is as a mixed individual or light-skinned individual. I think that is... That irks me as well when you don't acknowledge that, at least acknowledge that. Like, I have to acknowledge that I know in certain spaces my skin tone and my Mm. hair makes me more acceptable. But when I've got that platform, what am I going to do with it, I think? I think for me, again, I haven't actually thought of this as a thing Mm. in isolation, but I think it's just about privilege in general because my privilege isn't necessarily that I'm... Well, I'm not dark-skinned, but I guess my privilege centres on class and the fact I grew up in Buckinghamshire, I went to a grammar school, I've gone Mm. through formal education, and so I'm able to use certain situations to my advantage because I'm more palatable to the general white population in workplaces. Um, So I think, actually, it's just when you have privilege full stop Mm. and you're claiming to be down for the cause, you need to be consistent Mm. and you need to acknowledge that actually sometimes you may consciously quite often but unconsciously slip into a place where you're you're using your privilege to your advantage and you're oppressing your sisters Mm. or your brothers by doing that can i i just want to quickly pick up on the privilege thing because um you know like vic i'm very much aware of it and i'm very much aware of like like you like roshan said if i'm going to be down for the cause i need to be down for it wholeheartedly Mm -hmm. and i think that means making space for everyone that deserves it Mm. so whether that is 
black women that are a lot more dark skinned than me, whether that's disabled women, whether that's LGBT. Like, I feel like we don't all fit into one group and it's just know when it's the right time to speak and when it's the right time to be an ally. Mm. And those are two different things. It's a very good point. Mm. There is a huge distinction between the two. <laughs> it's really interesting though, because we all come from such different backgrounds, but we all identify as black, mm. right? And it's interesting. So I don't think that our backgrounds have necessarily, I mean, even for Vic and Liv's, you've both literally sought out your blackness in spaces where it wasn't readily accessible to you. Mm. And so I think that demonstrates how kind of pervasive and kind of innate being black is to just who you are as a person and kind of how you identify or define blackness. And I, I, I guess it would be interesting to know how everybody defines blackness for themselves. You know, we were just talking, Shan and I just did a IG live with a lady from the States and we were talking to her about what she thinks defines a dope black woman. And she's just like, it's knowing yourself, being confident in who you are, understanding that your blackness is part of your greatness. And I thought that was really powerful. And I don't know if anybody else kind of shares in that or has a unique definition of how they identify their blackness. For me personally, I don't know if I can speak on behalf of everybody, but every day is different. Mm. Sometimes I'm having a really good week and I feel like in the office they're putting some respect on my melanin. Like I'm having a great, I don't know, interaction in whatever black groups I'm in on WhatsApp. And obviously I get to see maybe one or two other dope black women. So some weeks I'm like, yes, like it is killing it being a black woman, a dope black woman. And that's literally just the feeling. Whereas other weeks where... I'm getting nowhere with the workplace equality agenda or somebody has said something to me or a security guard has followed me around, uh, then it's a negative thing. It's like being black is where you are just subject to a lot of scrutiny. Um, people don't necessarily have confidence in your abilities. You're, you're going to miss opportunities because that's what's projected from my everyday experience. So for me, what blackness means to me is a roller coaster. Mm -hmm. And overall, I think it's amazing. And I love being black and I wouldn't want to be anything else. But um, obviously, it comes with some negative experiences. Mm. I think I can relate to that. And also what Stacey said in the live. But I think for me, with um, like what blackness means, I think it's something that can't really be defined. And I think that with my experiences, so I've always been in a lot of white spaces. And because of that, I've done that whole talking thing where I can talk very... I'm not even going to put it on. I, I'm actually against I wanna it. I want to hear it. I no, I'm not going to do it. For me, blackness just comes from being me and that's it. I don't care what you think take from that or not take from that. And I think if we try to over like think it too much, we're always going to be like playing into stereotypes or playing mm. out of them because... You'll be in white spaces, you're going to be like, hmm, if I talk in slang, they're going to think I'm too black, so let me tone it down. Or you're in blacky black spaces and you're like, I don't want them to think I'm like them from where they're from, so I'm acting. And I don't like that, and I've been in that environment a lot. And I've been, I think, in... I've been in a lot of... Going back to what I said before about being in those white spaces, I've been in a lot of situations where people thought I didn't deserve to be there. So, like, when I was at uni, um, I really turned up, to be honest. But in first year... I must. I think I put on my Facebook, like, so glad that I got the most promising student scholarship award. And only one person gets that in the whole year. Mm -hmm. So all these white people were DMing me, like, why did you get it? How did wow. you deserve to get it? Blah, 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 blah. But they're looking at it like, I've come into this this uni and you've got it, like, free, you, their scholarship got announced for, like, three months later because like, there was, like, loads of boards and stuff. But they're looking at it like, this is a girl from ENDS. Like, this is... Like, the uni I went to was in Bournemouth, so everyone was, like, really, really white at the time. Everyone came from, like, these elite schools. I came from a normal school. I went to performing arts school. So, like, when they were hearing me speak and then seeing, like, oh, but this girl got straight A's and A-stars, it doesn't align to them because how do you speak like that and have those grades when they're hearing me speak? But, oh, at A-level, she got this grade. Like, everything just didn't align to them. So it was, like... When I was at uni, I went through a phase of trying to prove to them that I deserved my scholarship, but actually, I didn't need to do that. Mm. So, I like, there were just so many scenarios that I was in, especially at uni. But for me, uni was good because of growth, and it helped me really be proud to be black and proud to be who I was, because I was in so many scenarios, especially, like, even now, sitting in here, I'm thinking of all the different scenarios that I was in when my race was challenged. Mm. And I shouldn't have ever had to have gone through that. Mm. So, like... Yeah, I've gone around on a tangent, but basically blackness to me is, at this point, I've just drawn a line under it and don't really want to care about it anymore and just be like, I'm just going to be me. Mm. 
Woo! Love that. You know, I have to say that for me, I think being a part of this group and kind of leading on this group has made me feel more black and I don't know if that makes any sense I've always been proud to be black and I've always identified as black but it's such an empowering thing to be in a space with like-minded black women who just get it mm. and there's no uh, and I think that's why dope black women is so important as well as dope black moms and dope black dads but for us I think it's interesting because we really do understand the idea of what it feels like to be black and a woman and that whole idea of intersectionality I feel like we all get the things around being a black woman, whether that's hair or whether that's how we're treated in the workplace or dating and relationships and how that filters into being black. And it's just really, it feels like such a safe space. And I have to be so grateful that we have it. And I'm mm. so glad that everybody's here. <laughs> that's very cute. Okay. I think that for me, blackness is always going to be a political thing. I think that it's really hard to separate blackness from politics mm. because we live in a white-dominated country. So whatever way you want to look at it, and because of the history that's there, it's hard to never just accept it as just a colour of skin. Like, it's always so much more than that. And I think, for me, being part of this group has been really empowering because, like I said at the beginning... Um, I was always kind of unsure to even call myself a black woman mm -hmm. as someone who's mixed race. Like I was always very aware of stepping on someone's toes because I think when you have experience being discriminated against, you're like, I wouldn't want to do that to someone else. Mm -hmm. So meeting people like Vic, meeting people who are mixed race but understand that like blackness is still part of my identity, I found that really empowering. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, blackness is... It will always be tied into politics because there's so much history there. There's so much pain and trauma there that we're only starting to unravel now in recent years. I think that it will never just be a shade of skin colour. What I would, how I would like the conversation to move forward is for white people to understand that it's not an attack on you. Like personally, it's more let's unpack and let's have an honest conversation about the system at hand mm. and the fact that blackness is always so complicated and so individual because I feel like anytime you try and talk about blackness white people go <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean like they start scatting like they honestly can't take it and I'm like this isn't about you Sharon like <laughs> it really isn't hun yeah going off on that I think I agree with it being individual as well so I went to Ghana earlier this year and I think um it was really really impacted me just from being in a country that race wasn't the first thing that anyone saw. I wasn't looked at at all. It was just, oh, look, you were just there. The only reason I was looked at was because I had my very white child. And they're like, <laughs> is that, he said, mum? <laughs> what? Like, are you the nanny? Like, what is that? I got a lot of that. <laughs> really? Yeah, a lot of that. And that was kind of like, okay. Um, but I didn't, I really felt like comfortable being in a space where, race wasn't even a thing I didn't have to think of it and I think that to me that's what I identify in terms of being black is that I don't have to think about it I know what I am already so mm. because of being mixed I've been in this space traditional space where if you're white if you're in a white space you're the black person if you're in a black space you're the mixed person so where do you fit in and I think quite a long time ago I kind of settled with I'm mixed, but I am black. I am black and I am white. So I can say I am black because I am mm, black. Exactly. And because society treats me as a black woman, mm. I'm accepting of that and I'm embracing it. And these spaces make it feel beautiful. Mm. And like, and it's, Aww. yeah. Not to diverge, sorry. Mm -hmm. You know, you went to Ghana. Yeah. Was that the first time you was in a country that was all black? Like, no, black? but it was the first time I went to mainland Africa. When you left, did you feel really emotional? Yeah, like, the, the throughout the whole, like, I was there for 10 days. And when I say it's life-changing, for me, it was mm. like I've been in, I've been to black countries and I've been to, uh, like, Cape Verde lots of times, but that is an island mm. next to Africa. It was the first time I touched down in Africa. Mm. So, I, for me, personally, the whole thing was like... <sighs> yeah. and, I, and I yearned for that. I've yearned for that yeah. my whole life to touch down in Africa, but to kind of be in touch with your history and heritage mm. the same way I had some type of urgency because I felt whole. And I feel like the last few years, even since having my child, 
I've just felt more whole as a woman, as a black woman. But I've been just... on holiday to Antigua. I've been, like, several times now. My friends think I'm Antiguan. But, like, <laughs> no, literally. But when I first went, um, I cried the whole journey back because I never felt so at peace. Yeah. And that's why when I was talking about what blackness means to me, I'm saying that I blocked out what everyone else cares. I don't care what anyone else thinks because when I was there, like, being black wasn't a thing. Yeah. You was just you, like... No one cared. It was just such, like, a free spirit vibe. Like, it was just a complete different experience. And I always go back. Yeah. And I always go back for long periods of time, like, a month at a time, four weeks. I'm always there. And it's because the feeling that you get from being around people, like, for, as, in the same way of being in that WhatsApp group, if a mm. chat's going on and we're all in the chat, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that feeling of being in that black space is yeah. so empowering mm-hmm. that it's like no other. So that's why I asked you, did you cry? Because every time I come back, I get so emotional. Yeah. And even now, I feel upset because, like, I just want to be there. Yeah. Obviously, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> but, like... Well, my friend moved out there and I was just like, I'm coming because you're there. And and ever since I've got back, all I'm trying to do is get back. Yeah. Like, yeah. all my plans that I'm making already set. I'm mm. like, yeah, I'm going back to Ghana next year. I've had for jobs there. And, like, yeah. yeah. I'm growing up. Like, like, yeah, my friend's <laughs> yeah. up for business and I'm basically going for funding to set so my business can go out there because yeah. I need to be back in that mm. space. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but it's crazy, right? Because I feel like there are so many Caribbean and African people that are clamoring to come here. There is that perception of people who either have not been to Europe or the States that there is this, you know, streets are paved with gold and that there is this amazing opportunity. And I'm not saying that there aren't opportunities that we're missing out on, but there is this, there is a constant pro and con. And I think for me, being here for almost 10 years now, every time I go home, I am so at peace because even if I've had a long day, no matter how stressed I am, I can always just drive to the beach and relax and be around people who get it mm. and go and have a drink with my friends without having to travel two hours from East London to West London or from North to <laughs> well, South. that's your problem for living in East London. <laughs> <laughs> I not from East London. <laughs> I guess for me, what I love the most about being black is being able to celebrate so many different parts of the identity as well. It's like when I'm at home, I have this amazing feeling of being black and have and not having that not be an issue. But then when I'm here, I feel so empowered by having you guys and having dope black women surround me and having us talk about issues that really bother us on a day-to-day basis or really empower us on a day-to-day basis within this, you know, it's like our own little enclave and our own little safe space. And so it's it's this constant back and forth, which I love both sides, but there's it's never perfect. And I think that's a great thing about being black. I don't know if everybody else agrees or if there's a, something about being black that you absolutely love and you would never give up. I think like we've all kind of hit the nail on the head in different ways, but it's that sense of, like, community. Mm. Like, it is that sense of, like, you know, you walk into a room and, like, the way black women laugh together, like, I can't even put my finger on it, but we're very, like, it's like a spiritual moment. Mm. I don't know. And it's really disheartening when people look at that and like oh they're so loud they're so like oh they're so crazy and it's like i think just like black people know <laughs> i'm laughing because of how we are in the office if it was in a white space we would not be like that we'd be quiet <laughs> no. Sidrid, i am black we would be so quiet but that's the power of like being black because mm. where we work is predominantly black or it's in an environment that has white people in it, but they understand blackness, or they don't mm. challenge you and make you feel like you can't be black. And it's so, so different. Me and Liv's like, we're living our best life. <laughs> yeah. We can just be ourselves. I was going to say, I'm so working. jealous. No, no, no. Right? We've, we've both been in the opposite places. Mm. It's been a long road to get here. <laughs> we've both been here. I've definitely been on the opposite. Mm. We're talking mm. about the positives. I'm talking about the But positives. even like when black people are like, you know, we just laugh and we're just like, and like we're clapping, <laughs> people run around, like, you know, we run around, like, there's just like a happiness and there's a joy that cannot be matched. Yeah, yeah. joy, I think. Yeah. The dance, the dancing. Black girl magic. Yeah. I'm not sure, mother. Black boy today. joy. Come on! <laughs> <laughs> just ruined it! Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's just full of like, <laughs> there's just loads of positives. Like, the culture, yes. whether you're African, Caribbean, South American, wherever you're from, I just think that 
there's just something innate. And like yeah. you said, you can just be in the same room or you go somewhere and there's predominantly white people and there's like three black people and you kind of look at each other and it's the nod. That little head nod. Yeah. Like, I got your back, I got your back. Like, it's just... You know, it's just, on a holiday, you see a black person in Spain, like, they're like... Ah! <laughs> <laughs> the couch is down there. Right? Like, yes, yeah. What hotel you stay at? <laughs> it's deep. So, yeah, I just think the culture, you, can, it's, you cannot imitate our culture mm. and it's come out of such a deep history. It's amazing. The resilience of the black people is incredible. Mm. And, yeah, I, you can't articulate it. Like you were saying... Mm. I just don't think you can articulate it from the food, the music, the dancing. And even when you compare, the like, swag, music, honey. That's what it is, yeah, the swag. swag. <laughs> We've got a swagger about us. We're swaggerific is one of my favourite things. <laughs> Tell them. That's what mine as well. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I don't actually know how to describe it. I can't articulate just how amazing it is. But the spaces are really important, especially mm. when we think about mental health. Without such spaces, like I genuinely can feel really low sometimes yeah. or really depressed, like mm. not clinically, but it can be so depressing to work in a place where you can't be yourself. And then mm. there's not even a group that you can either WhatsApp or have lunch with or whatever just Mate. to be yourself and mm. be like, girl, these, <laughs> these white people, <laughs> get on my love, No, nerves. don't. Up that group and I swear it was so great. <laughs> it was so great when you set that up. Like every black person in the workplace was like, by the way, there's like eight of us in the group. <laughs> so many black people work at work. But this is the thing: they people get scared and silenced. Like they don't, they feel like you said they cannot be themselves. And like they can't just be black people. They no. feel like they have to be conforming. No, honestly, when I, when I used to work in a different place that I work now, that was predominantly white. In fact, I'm lying. Everyone was white. <laughs> and there was one girl who was mixed race. And I remember, yeah, like, I used to do, like, meal preps. I still do it now, but, like, I used to eat meat before. So my meal preps are lavish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pork this day. Beef stew this day. They had everything. Like, I, used, I love cooking, yeah? And I used to, like, when I worked at this other job, I had more time off my hands. I didn't live in London, so, like, I didn't really have much friends in this new town. So I was always just cooking all the time for myself. <laughs> and, like, because I was always cooking... I was coming with different foods every day. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, oh. you're getting it. So, there was a week, particular week mm. where every day they asked me, what are you eating? And I thought, you know what? Because it's a different dish, and, like, sometimes I'm making traditional dishes, like, I'm Caribbean, and I would make Caribbean dishes that I've never made, but I might call my African friends, how do you make this? Just because I, like, just genuinely love cooking. Mm. And then, so, for the first week, when it was genuinely a different dish every single day, I didn't mind it. When it hit week four, yeah. <laughs> and on this particular week, there was a two-week period where, like, I didn't have that time to do, like, different meals. So the, the meal I had on Wednesday was Monday's meal, and it looks the same. And this, this same girl... So the first week when people were asking, it was different, different people. Then after that, it was just the same girl. And it got to week three and four, and I'm like, cool, if I react, I'm mad. But I'm not mad, you're mad. So she kept asking me... Oh, What's for lunch today? And it got to the point where I would sit down and be like, What's for lunch today? And they're all in the canteen eating a little dead canteen food. And I'd be like, What are you eating for lunch? And and because she's eating something dumb like sausage and mash, it wasn't that, but something that's obvious, I was doing it so she can understand. Stop asking what I'm mm. what I'm eating. Yeah. <laughs> and then it got to the point where I was getting I actually became I started to feel really isolated because imagine I'm the only black person on my team, and then in the whole building. I'm one of the few black people in the entire building. So when I'm in that space and you're asking what I'm eating, you're making me feel like it's because of my blackness rather than anything else. Mm. And I so, so this girl, yeah, she always goes on, you know, the, my auntie's black, yeah. She was like, my stepmom's Chinese. She always makes <laughs> Chinese food. You don't even live with her. You don't even chat to her. Hans allow it. <laughs> so I'm, I spoke to her aside one night and I said, just so you know, you keep asking me, like, about my food. And at the start, I was fine, but I'm actually starting to take offence. So it's probably not an offensive thing, but I'm not really receiving it well. She goes, oh, babe, I get it. I'm cool. I said, all right, Monday's going to be a new day. Monday, the same thing. Oh, Wednesday, oh we went God. out for work drinks. I told her whilst we was on a bit of a wave, just, you know, I'm still not liking it. <laughs> She's still done it. Cool. So the next week after that, I stopped eating with them. And when people asked me why, I said, because she's making me feel uncomfortable. So that she understood what it felt like to be uncomfortable. Because it got to the point where it was like, I don't want to eat with you lot. Mm. And they would be like, because I got along with everyone so well. They're like, oh, Shan, no, like, come and sit with us. And it was like, I don't want to be in that space because you guys have seen her, what I would call victimising me every lunchtime, and everyone's silent. Mm. And then when I retaliate, it's like, Rashan, calm down. She's only asking what you're eating. No, but why isn't she asking you about your dead sausage? Like, did you <laughs> or your dead sandwich? No, but do you get what I mean? Like, it was so frustrating. So that... When I say, like, I feel so fortunate to be in a place now 
where I'm not the odd one out, mm. it's like a godsend because that silly example of just food was literally like so traumatic for that four week period. But after I moved away and everyone was begging me to come back, <laughs> Live my yes, best life. oh help me. <laughs> after that, it was fine. And she learned her place. <laughs> there was one time at school, yeah, I was eating a patty and this girl was like, what's that? <laughs> and I'm thinking, <laughs> stay calm and I was like oh it's a patty she's like like a Cornish pastry and I was like kind of but no and she was like oh it's awfully yellow and I was thinking mm-hmm. if I turned around and said oh your face is awfully white <laughs> like, I'm a bad one like I'm tired of it I'm, just, I'm tired like there's a difference between being interested and like probing Especially when you're eating and they're all up behind you, breathing into your dish, like. Mm. And now I, can I try some? No, you don't even I, like spice. And now I, <laughs> you can't. I think the overall consensus is just let me be mm. unapologetically yeah. black. Like, can I just be black in this space without you having to question me or ask me any questions or talk to me about it or does it have to be a topic of conversation? I'm black. Mm. This is me. Mm. Get with the program. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. So in this next section of the podcast, we're going to do this thing that we call the dope black chat, which is basically where we refer to the conversations that we've been having in our WhatsApp group and kind of talk about it here, explore this topic a little bit further, see how we all feel, express the views of the women that are in the actual group, because I think that's really important. And that's one of the main things that we try to do behind this podcast is really explore the plethora of views that exist within the black female community. So today, Liv's had something that she wanted to talk about. I'll let her introduce it. So something that has been doing the rounds in the news the last couple of weeks and on Twitter is about Gina Rodriguez, who is an actress. And for those that don't know her, she stars in Jane the Virgin. So she is American Puerto Rican um, and she posted a video on her Instagram story where she was rapping to the Fijis and she says the N-words. And naturally, this got a whole load of backlash and she eventually put out a statement apologising um, and she says she has a lot of learning to do. Um, it's worth noting that Gina has been in hot water before. Oh, this really? is like not the first time that she's been criticised about this kind of thing. She was doing an interview, I think it was for CNN, and she was talking about pay in Hollywood. And she said that Asian women get paid less than black women and Latino women get paid less than Asian women. And a lot of people were like, first of all, that's not true, (laughs) which is not, not just in Hollywood, but in the workplace in general. Mm. Um, And she did another interview where she like apologized and she was like crying and she was saying that as a Latino in America, you feel a, a strong connection to the black community because when she was growing up, she didn't see a lot of Latinos. Um, on television and so to say that she was anti-black was to say she's anti-family so she is quite a divisive person naturally and I think this latest incident really is like an interesting one for us given the nature of this episode about identity and about who gets to say the n-word and like how much your race and your nationality and ethnicity dictates your blackness yeah. So she is someone who is technically not black at all, but aligns herself with the black community, has been called out for this. Whereas we have seen people in the past who have used it, haven't been called out, like Fat Joe, Jennifer Lopez, et cetera, et cetera. So I was wondering where you guys stand on this. It's interesting, actually. So I think there is some historical context to this that we need to consider. So historically... There is a huge intermingling of Latinos and African-Americans, but also just historically, there are quite a few Latinos that identify as black. They're Afro-Latinos. My dad is Cuban. He's black. He's not, he doesn't, he's very dark skinned. Um, And, but he would look at his other Cuban counterpart who is light skinned and also call him black. So I think historically, back in the day, there was this as... Jane the Virgin or whatever her name is <laughs> has said <laughs> sorry Gina 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 baby as Gina said there is this very strong connection between Latina culture and black culture and 
uh, I think there's validity to that. However, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about or what Shan was saying about kind of abusing the privilege of being light-skinned. And I think there is a sentiment within the Black community where we identify or we see that a lot of Latinos kind of adopt Blackness when it's cute or when it's cool. Mm -hmm. But then when they want to be the light-skinned pretty girl, that they identify as Latino. So there's a girl on Love and Hip Hop, yes, I watch Trashy TV, called <laughs> Sin Santano. She's married to Joe Budden or was married to Joe Budden. But in an IG story or something like that, she said something about, you know, black men treat Latino women so good and they just want like, you know, cute Latino babies and et cetera, et cetera. She obviously had to come out was and she apologize. Was she being serious? She was what? being serious, 100%. <laughs> okay, my girl. So she's... But you're the Literally. one that got dumped by Joe Biden. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, she says that Joe... She, Black girl. She says that she dumped Joe Biden. But, uh, I mean, at the end of the day, she's still taking on this identity of being Latino and having that identify as something that is other than Black. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you said, if you're really Black, you black it Black all the way. Right? Mm-hmm. I, that's my new favorite term, by the way. <laughs> black is Black. All the way Black. <laughs> you have to be all the way Black. So for her... I find it problematic that she can switch in a note and it's acceptable. And that's the, that's where I have the issue. So if there was a black Latino, I'm trying to think of somebody who's a historically famous black Latino who was always riding for blackness and she said the N-word or he said the N-word, I would have less of an issue mm-hmm. than someone who's constantly, well, I'm Latina, but no, I'm actually black. Or when it's convenient or when they're being accused of being racist or being prejudiced, that it's like all of a sudden you're black now. Mm-hmm. The wildest thing about the video is that she, it's not like she got caught. She is like staring dead pad into the camera. She's like, no, no, give me a like, And she laughs afterwards. And I'm like, it's just mad that she put it up and didn't think... This is going to get backlash. That's her. That's what she does at home. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It it's is. true. That's her true I self. I would put up a video mm. that, I, that wasn't authentic. To, I don't put anything online that's not authentic to me because if I get backlash and it's authentic to me, then cool. I can hold the L. But if mm. it's not, then what, what on earth? Mm. Do you know what I mean? So that's, that's why, like, the she apology doesn't feel authentic because it's, like, it's not like you were caught or you were having an argument with someone. Like, you literally... Recorded this video yourself in selfie mode, girl. Like, no one caught you slipping. And then she did an apology, which was like, you know when people are like, I'm sorry if you were offended. Yeah. And it just changes the whole tone completely. She's I'm sorry if this offended anyone. I didn't mean any offense. And then she put out a second apology that was like, I've got a lot of learning to do, et cetera, et cetera. Vic's face is like, she's (laughs) snarling right now. (laughs) I just, yeah, it's, I agree though with what you're saying. There are some, and I can't, think on the top of my head but there is a black latina who is always down for the cause and she's always talking about and trying to that whole sentence around um you know she said she was it's a scary place when we talk about pay black women get more so first of all it's the wrong statistics that you're Mm. going with but also it's very clear that you're not then identifying as a black woman if Mm. you're saying latinas you know at the at the you know bottom of the pile and then i saw the Black Panther comments. Mm. Oh, what are the Black Panther comments? So she basically said, oh, they're do- Marvel and DC are being great with their inclusion, but when are they going to put in a Latina woman? And it's Is like, it? really? That's what you've got to say about Black Panther. Mm. Again, yeah. you're Why not you aligning with the, the parade, black, right? Yeah, and you're not aligning with the black community then, so you don't see yourself as Afro- Yeah, because you're Latina, actively cause separating you're active- yourself. Right? Because you could have said, like, so, like... Well, not literally this, but like, really great to see so many black people on screen. I hope that one day there can be a change in, or like, do you know what I mean? Like, framed it a bit different. So it was like, she's saying, like, this is sick, and hopefully you can see sickness in other areas as well. Or the wider black community. Yeah. Because yeah. mm. if you are black Latina and you, then you are part of the wider black community, or do you know what I mean? Within the black community, there are so many different um, like identities. So to say that wouldn't have even been an issue. It's the fact that you separated mm. Latina. It's so true. Like, you've literally. She is like Bobo the Clown because she's literally said, I'm not part of the black community and then you want to be using the N-word. <laughs> right? <laughs> Do you feel like we, we as the black community, perpetuate the or allow other people to use that word too much? So like, I always think when I'm at a concert like, and rappers are using the N-word, I'm, I'm always looking around at the white people and being like, <laughs> are they saying it? it? Like, <laughs> I was out in a club, yeah, with my friend. And the club was dead, so I was just sitting down. <laughs> and they were playing um, Chris Brown, Funky Friday, Freaky Friday. Mm. 
And that song, the N-word plays so much. I don't even, I don't personally say the N-word, but in that song, I get caught slipping because it's so catchy, yeah? Because <laughs> the whole song says it. Yeah. And when the song came on, I was like, please, don't make me feel uncomfortable because everyone around me was white. Is your friend white? No, my friend's black. So it's and just like, the two of you in a majority white space? Yeah, and all these white people felt happily fine to be singing the N-word for the whole entire song. I can't. And I was just there like, let me go to the bar and just not make eye contact. Because do you know how awkward it is that you know this word's offensive? And like, I'm sitting down on this thing and there's white guys standing next to me and I'm looking up and I'm just seeing them saying it. Uh-uh. And it's just so weird because it's like, you guys don't feel any way to say it. And like when you go to concerts, you see them saying it. And I find it so problematic because when did anyone give you that green light? Mm-hmm. Like anybody. But they would say that the artist gave them the green light because no, we're in a concert and we're at this place and you're saying the N-word and you're obviously, I'm your customer, I'm your patron. So why can't I be a part of or insert myself in what I'm supposed to be enjoying anyway? I'm just playing devil's advocate, obviously. No, 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 I don't yeah, agree. I get but... It. but I think that's problematic because there's words that like, for example, like, you know, like, growing up, you might have been told not to swear. Yeah. Even if I'm around, if I'm around, like, your mum, for example, or someone's mum, and they're, me- they're meant to be an adult or authoritative person, even if they're swearing and, and they allow their kids to swear, I'm not going to swear because I don't change... You don't, I don't change like that because I've been, I've been taught not to swear. Mm. So if you're someone who, in a concert, you're going to say the N-word, in my opinion, at home, you're going to say it as well. Mm. And if your friends are going to say it as well because... That's not even a safe space. It's not. Because if a black person turns around or someone who really, that would really aggravate them, your life might not be the same. <laughs> no, but it won't. Because, no, but it won't because the people that say it are the ones that are always in safe spaces to say it. Because if you're in, you, they couldn't be in Brixton, in True. Refill or in the Caribbean shop singing it, no matter what song oh, it was Oh, shout on. out to Refill, man. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, they couldn't, but, do you know what I mean? They couldn't be in that sort of environment. They wouldn't feel brave enough to do it because the yard man behind you will box you in your head. Can I just It's not going to be okay. Mm. Sorry, but um, Refill's gone downhill. That's where oh, we went the other day. Really? Oh, yeah, no. yeah, I went there the other day and I, I paid £6.50 The portions have gone down. Vegetable for advice. I said, vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> the whole bag is 99p and the pasta is 50p a little. So what exclusive brand did you go to? Because not even Waitrose is more than 6 pounds 50 for the whole store. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I got to support black business, so I still pay the 6 pounds <laughs> 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 I support black business. <laughs> I still pay the 6 pounds 50 but I was not impressed. Hashtag all the way black. Blackity black, blackity black. Um, but just to say the N-word is never cool for me. Like, I don't know what artist you are. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't say it. I can't even be around like my cousins my male cousins mm. like they just think it's cool and for me I find it even more problematic because all of them are with white women in on this particular side oh. of my family mm. Mm. Oh, don't let me talk about nothing mm. so they freely use I don't mind the fact that they're with white women obviously but the fact that then you're empowering not only your woman but then your mixed race children, children. yeah, who aren't really being taught about their identity in their household um, but that's another t- story yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whoa um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, I, I just have a big issue with it, but I, all, I have a major issue with it in this particular part of my family. Um, and I'm constantly like bashing heads with my cousin, like correcting mm. and just being like, what are you doing? The, 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 I'm not getting anywhere. We're in our 30s now, same way as you were when mm. we were in our teens. Mm. I'm not going to get anywhere. I do think a lot of it comes from like lack of education. All in my experience, it came from lack of education. So like, I grew up, not hearing it in my household, but then, like, hearing it in music that was played in the household. And then, because of that, I didn't... There, no one ever said to me at home, like, don't say it or not to say it. So I grew up, I mean, I'd be in, like, black spaces. A lot of them would say it. So it was, like, fine to say or not say. There wasn't, no one ever said, like, don't say that word. Mm. Like, for example, like, bumbaclaw. Like, growing up, you couldn't don't say that in, not say that in any household. Do you know what I mean? And then I feel like it wasn't until a few years ago when I was on a project and I had to research a lot about race, that I realised how problematic it was to use that word. And things like having ownership over the word, it's not the same as, like, you know, like when people are the, that might be a bit on the large side that have the body positive, positivity movement. Mm. It's not the same thing. And mm. I feel like growing up, I took it as if it was the same thing as that. So, like, when I saw people using it, I thought, it's fine because they're just owning the word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's actually not fine. When you, anyone that actually researches the word properly, mm-hmm. you wouldn't want to be associated with the Literally. word. It's so, like, it, it went, I went through a phase where I was like, I'm not going to sing any songs of it. And now I don't really sing it in songs. Mm. And I'm trying to, like... Yeah, I don't sing it in songs and I don't, use, I don't say the word. But it's just, like, I think for some people it might just come from a place of 
lack of education. And then the question is, who, who does that fall on to? Because mm. you don't learn about it in school. Mm. You learn about slavery. And you might watch Roots if you're lucky if you're in a blackity black school. And that's about it. Do you get what I mean? But no oh one actually gosh. teaches you about politics black. within your own blackness. Yeah. You don't learn that. Your parents have been through enough trauma. They don't want to teach you about that. Like, who's going to sit down Friday like, oh my God, it's going to tell you about the N-word. <laughs> no one's doing that. They just come from working two shifts. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's our generation, though. Like, our mm. generation, I think, are more switched on in that sense. Oh, definitely. Like, yeah. I, my mum still won't even talk about roots and slavery, like, mm. all those kind of conversations. It's just... Maybe it's trauma, who knows, but she ain't down with that. Mm. I feel like I will sing it if it comes in a song because I'll usually be in the club and I've been drinking. I'm like, I'm not going to censor myself. But I don't use it, like, in conversations because I feel like there's no need to. Out of the whole of the English language, why have we got to use this one word? Why are we so obsessed with this one word? Like, there's a whole English language there. <laughs> and white people are like, why can't I use it? I'm like... It's one word. Like, it's one word. Why are you so obsessed with you, you saying, saying it? you saying the C word that offends them? Mm -hmm. If they even know about it, yeah? Mm. It's a whole different story. Mm. And the way I look at it as well is like, I don't feel the need to use it in conversations, but whether another black person wants to use it, me personally, I feel like that's your journey. That's your decision. I don't really have a right to tell you yes or no. I would appreciate if you didn't, <laughs> but I don't really have a right to tell you yes or no. However, white people using it is just mad. It's just mad because, like, there's no need for you to say it. And they're always saying, oh, but rap, people in rap songs say it. I'm like, why are you so obsessed? Like, why are you so obsessed with being able to say a word? Like, it, it's just such white entitlement. You can't see how, like, entitled you are that you feel you should be able to say the whole English language. I am compare it to the fact that I am not part of the LGBT community, so I'd never use the F word. And there are some people who are in the gay community that do use that word and in the same vein, you know, reclaim it. And whether you agree with that or not, it, that's their personal decision. So I feel like it's as simple as that, really. I don't understand why there's this whole big obsession with white people being able to use this word. To me, that just speaks to such entitlement. It, it baffles me. It that's baffles me. A really good um, analogy, actually, I think. I'm going to use that. <laughs> because Stolen. It, like, it's true that, like, do they even understand the history of the word? White people are either not aware or they're unwilling to understand the history of the N-word. I, knowing the history of the F-word, would never use that word because of that. And I just think, why is that so difficult for white people to understand that? When I know the difference, I, I know I'd never say that, and I understand that the LGBTQ community there are um, sections of, who do use that, and that's up to them, that's their right. But there is such, there is still within the black community people who, you know, we know already that are still use, re, using that term, reclaiming. The and word. what's bad is it's like, it's your ancestors. Right? <laughs> is, there no, like... there, is there no guilt? Because I swear that white guilt comes and goes freely. Of course. <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> right, it comes sometimes. So while we are firmly placed on the use of the n-word how do we feel about gino rodriguez <laughs> are we giving our a pass or it's like no no no, no. <laughs> no i think no vic, <laughs> i think vic hit the nail on the head because she hasn't aligned herself with the black community it's not that you, something you step in and out of and she didn't even use it in a way which was like in context mm. like filming yourself and putting on the instagram story there was no need like it, it didn't prove anything there was no point mm. it was for clout and then she got backlash. And, and then she apologized. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for listening to the very first episode of the Dope Black Woman podcast. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. We love reading the reviews, so keep them coming. If you want to connect with us, keep up to date with our events or join the conversation. Follow us online on Twitter or Instagram where Dope Black Woman won. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically black. Blackly black. Stay black. All the way black. Blacktastic. <laughs> <laughs>
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.